Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 to 18, and chapter four, verses 14 to 16. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. At 1 a.m., one very tired mom heard a cough. I bolted from my sleep to a standing running position and in one leap made it to the bathroom and flipped on the light to find my six-year-old daughter sitting on the edge of the tub. The stuff from her tummy was all over the floor, the lid of the toilet and herself. I proceeded to clean the floor and surrounding areas, then placed Sarah in the tub to wash down. As I turned on the shower, Sarah said, Mom, with a wrinkled nose and a hesitant voice, I threw up on Colette too. Colette is her nine-year-old sister who happens to share the bed. I closed the curtain and ran to see. I met Colette in the hallway and she said Sarah had thrown up on her. I turned on the bedroom light and much to my amazement, there was the dreaded sight of Sarah's dinner on five blankets, two pillows, two sheets, a baby blanket, and Colette's pajamas. I bundled it all up into the bottom sheet, the sheet and placed it at the back door. I put fresh bedding on the bed and placed a bucket beside Sarah. Then I crawled back in my own bed, at which time my well-covered, half-asleep husband inquired, what's wrong? Are you okay, honey? <laughs> Ooh, is right. You ever felt like nobody understands you? Nobody understands what you're going through? Have you ever had a close friend or a sibling or maybe a child or a spouse say, you don't understand me? You don't understand what I'm going through? Or have you ever, maybe yourself or maybe as a couple, gone through something, something tragically hard, a measure of suffering where you've looked at each other or you've thought to yourself, nobody gets what we're going through. Nobody gets what we're going through. 
You know, it's one of the most lonely places to be when you find yourself in that place. And it's even more lonely when the the person closest to you, whether it's a friend or maybe a spouse, doesn't seem to get it or understand what you're going through. Incredibly lonely place to be. The question is, what does the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh, have to do with you being understood? Now, the answer is everything, but let's explore everything. We're going to look at the the importance of Jesus' humanity and the implications of Jesus' humanity and what it has to do with being understood. Let's start with the importance of Jesus' humanity. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 18, for he himself has suffered when tempted. In chapter four, verse 15, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. It says that Jesus Christ, when he was born into this world, born into a manger as a baby, was made like you in every way minus sin. Made like you in every way except for sin. And the fact that he was sinless makes it all the more amazing that he resisted temptation and makes it all the more intense the the temptation that he faced and the fact that he did actually resist it. You know, I think sometimes we think when when we read this that that Jesus was sinless, but that he was was tempted in every way that we are. I think oftentimes we think, but he was God, right? He was God. So he was able to easily resist temptation. But as I said this morning, Jesus Christ was one person but had two distinct natures. Fully God, yes, but fully human. Not half God, half human. He was fully human human. Not a hologram, not a shadow, fully human. And yet, I'll tell you that some of the Christmas songs that we sing make it hard to remember this. I'll give you one. We haven't sung it yet this Advent season. This is why. It's not a bad song. Away in a manger, No crib for a bed. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? It almost gives us a picture of this baby Jesus that had a a halo and that, you know, that this, this, this shine was over him, that he never cried. Somehow never pooped his diaper. Now, I, you know, we, we, we forget that Jesus Christ was fully human. Of course he cried. He cried as an adult. He wept at Lazarus' funeral or wept at Lazarus' death. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven says this, in the days of his flesh, flesh Jesus offered up 
prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. So I think some of our Christmas songs don't help us remember his full humanity. I think some of our Sunday school books of sorts don't do justice either. The pictures of Jesus, you you know what they look like. A well-tanned, good-looking man who seems to be almost hovering six inches above the grass. we, we, We have this trouble, I think, accepting the full humanity of Jesus. And that's why it was early in the, in the history of the church, heresy after heresy was undermining this full humanity of Jesus. And it, and it caused one of the early church fathers, St. Gregory, to say this, what has not been assumed has not been healed. And he spoke this because there was heresy saying that Jesus was just kind of a pseudo-human. He wasn't really fully human. And so there were early followers of Christ that said, no, 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 no. What has not been assumed has not been healed. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if Jesus did not have flesh and blood, if God did not become flesh and blood, then there is no salvation. There's no healing. There's no forgiveness of sin. That Jesus was really hungry when the devil came to him in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, the devil comes to tempt Jesus. And what's the first temptation? To get Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Jesus had been fasting a very long time at that point. He was hungry. He was really hungry. Which means that when he was tempted to eat, it was really a temptation. That he really had to resist that. Jesus experienced thirst when he asked the woman at Jacob's well for water. He understands when you thirst. He understands when you're tempted. He suffered when he was tempted. He experienced weariness when he slept while the storm raged on the Sea of Galilee. You know the story where Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat? And sometimes we read that and think, oh, he just closed his eyes. He was just trying to teach the disciples a lesson. No, he was asleep. He was weary. He was actually asleep. He understands weariness. He experienced sorrow when he wept at the grave of Lazarus. He experienced betrayal, which means he understands when you're betrayed. He experienced loneliness and isolation, which means he understands when you're lonely, when you're isolated. He was misunderstood, which means he understands when you're misunderstood. He was poor which means he understands when you're struggling financially and there's not resources that you need. He faced death, which means he understands when you face death. He grieved, which means he understands when you grieve. He experienced loss, which means he understands when you experience loss. He was homeless, such that if you've ever experienced homeless, he, homelessness, he understands that. And what this means is that you can expect nothing short of perfect understanding from Jesus Christ. Perfect understanding of what you're going through at any time, at all times, because he really put on 
flesh and blood. You know, one, one pastor tells the story of an x-ray technician that was in his congregation. And this x-ray technician got a kidney stone. And any of you that have had a kidney stone, you know the excruciating pain that that is. And so he went and visited this congregant in the hospital. And this is what the the x-ray tech said while he was on the bed in the hospital. He said, when I get out of here, I'm going to have a radically different bedside manner. I will never get impatient. I will never be rough with them. I've been on the table, so I will never treat people on the table in the same way. That's what verse 15 in chapter four of Hebrews is getting at. That we have a a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been on the table, so to speak. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows the human experience in a broken world. And so he enters in with compassion and grace. Now, what are the implications of Jesus' humanity? What does this mean? Look at verse 18. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Verse 16, chapter four, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, if we really understand the incarnation, that God became flesh and blood, then we would run towards him in our suffering and with our problems. And that to, to run away from God, to run away from the church, to run away from God, or to get mad at God in your suffering, is a, it's a functional denial of the humanity of Christ. You see, if, if, if God really didn't become flesh and blood, if Jesus really didn't become a human being, then you might be justified in your anger because your argument that God doesn't understand what pain is like, he doesn't understand pain in this world, you might be justified. But if God became flesh and blood, and if Jesus became like us in every way except for sin and has experienced the the brokenness of this world so that every brokenness that you experience, every piece of suffering, every piece of hardship, there's not one moment where you can say, God doesn't understand. If we really believe that, then we would run to him. We would approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive help. And what, that, what else this says is that, that you know, the x-ray technician that the, the, the pastor went to visit, when the man said that, the other thing he said to the pastor was, I will put somebody on the table again. What he was not saying is, I'll never put somebody on the table again. He said, I'll put somebody on the table again, but I will only do what is absolutely necessary. I will will work so hard to comfort and to have compassion and have to have grace and mercy. I'll do what's only absolutely necessary. And so what we learn with the incarnation and Jesus experiencing the pain of the human condition is he says, listen, there is nothing arbitrary that Jesus does in your life. 
There's nothing arbitrary. There's nothing needless that he does. That if you've suffered or you're suffering or there's hardship or there's brokenness, that in Christ you can be assured that what Jesus is doing is very, very purposeful and intentional. Nothing is needless. Nothing is arbitrary. And he comes in with grace and compassion and mercy. He has amazing bedside manners because he's experienced your brokenness. And so rather than running away, and I say that because if, if you're here this evening and, and, and you're not a follower of Christ, or you have questions about Christianity, or maybe one of your big questions is suffering and evil, and maybe in your hardship it's caused you to run away from God, saying, how could God do this to me? I hope you're hearing that in the incarnation, in the birth of Jesus, becoming like you in every way except sin, God understands your hardship and he enters in, and he has grace and mercy and comfort and compassion for you if you'll simply run to him. Run to the throne of grace where you can receive help in time of need. Let me conclude by speaking to the kids for a second. Hey, kids, I want you to imagine that you're in the grocery store, and you get separated from your mom in the grocery store. And you start to panic and you start to get afraid and you start running down the aisle to try to find your mom. And right as you get to the end of the aisle, right before you start to cry because you're scared, you see this shadow come to the end of the aisle and it, the shadow looks like your mom's shadow. And so you breathe this sigh of relief and you're happy and you have hope right? Because you see your mom's shadow. Now, let me ask you this, which is better to see your mom's shadow come at the end of the aisle or to see your mom walk around the corner? It's to see your mother walk around the corner. Jesus Christ is not a shadow. Jesus Christ is a real person that has come in space and time to rescue you so that you could run to him. Now, I just spoke that to the children. Adults, that's for us. Jesus is a real person. He's not a shadow. He became flesh and blood. And because he did, you can expect nothing short of perfect understanding from him, no matter what you're going through. That's the meaning of Christmas. That's the message of the incarnation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you became flesh and blood. That Jesus, you were fully human. There are people here this evening who have gone through tremendous suffering, maybe who are going through significant hardship, right in the middle of something. And there may be some here that are in their own heart and mind or maybe husbands and wives who have looked at each other and said, nobody gets this. Nobody understands. And Father, I pray, we pray by your Holy Spirit 
that you would impress upon hearts the truth that, Jesus, you do understand. That you understand everything that we go through. That you sympathize with our weaknesses. That there's not one experience of the human condition in this broken world that you don't understand. Father, I pray that we would therefore run to you, run to your throne of grace for help and for mercy. And Father, I pray specifically for those that are here that maybe maybe suffering and hardship and evil and brokenness has been the very reason that they have stayed away from you. Oh, Spirit, would you impress upon their hearts the truth that although, God, you don't give us a clear why to evil, you make it very clear that you care deeply about our suffering. You put it on yourself. Jesus, you suffered and that you bore it in our place so that we, by that great exchange received by faith, could receive your sinlessness, Jesus, and that you would take our sin. Thank you for such a glorious salvation. And thank you for the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.